This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. Spignola, who I think republished this from somebody named E.P. Heidner, um, who was kind of this like pseudonym for it came out around 2009, 2010, and um, and so this this basically uh, cast 9/11 as an elaborate cover-up of the very same enterprise that we've mentioned before that was at the heart of the Iran-Contra enterprise that was both involved in, like, drug trafficking, um, sponsoring is the very Islamic terrorists that ostensibly would do the attack in 2001, and most importantly were involved in a secret operation to financially destroy the Soviet Union and destroy actually existing communism um, in the Eastern Bloc. So I'll just read uh, a, a little here. Um, in 1989, President George H.W. Bush began the multi-billion dollar Project Hammer program using an investment strategy to bring about the economic destruction of the Soviet Union, including the theft of the Soviet Treasury, destabilization of the ruble, funding a KGB coup against Gorbachev in August 91, and the seizure of major energy and munitions industries in the Soviet Union. These resources would subsequently be turned over to international bankers and corporations. On November 1st, 2001, the second operative in the Bush regime, President George W. Bush, issued Executive Order 13233 on the basis of national security and concealed the records of past presidents, especially his father's spurious activities during 1990 and 91. Consequently, those records are no longer accessible to the public. The Russian coup plot was discussed in June 91 when Yeltsin visited with Bush in conjunction with his visit to the United States. On the same visit, Yeltsin met discreetly with Gerald Corrigan, the chairman of the New York Fed. Um, and uh, because of numerous presidential executive orders, the eth ethically, ethically questionable Project Hammer was deemed legal. Of course, even Hitler's acts were lawful, as he had manipulated the laws to accommodate his actions. Many of Reagan's executive orders were actually authored by Vice President Bush or his legal associates, and it's possible that Project Hammer was created by Reagan's CIA Director William Casey, who had directed OSS operations through Alan Dulles in Europe during World War II. Um, prior to his OSS affiliation, Casey worked for the Board of Economic Warfare, which allegedly targeted Hitler's economic uh, jugular. And uh, I'm just going to go down. So you're saying, okay, this is all weird, but um, 
you know, what does this have to do with 9-11? So the Vulcans, who were George H.W. Bush's uh, foreign policy councils like Condoleezza Rice and I think Richard Pearl, uh, who were hatching the secret plan to crush communism, um, was largely initially funded by what was called Yamashita's Gold, which was a stash of stolen Japanese treasure that was hidden in the Philippines at the end of World War II and then was discovered by the Americans and was used to prop up the uh, Ferdinand Marcos regime for decades um, and was used basically uh, off the books to support covert operations against communism around the world for the entire Cold War. And if you look into white-collar crime and CIA money laundering, a lot of it does kind of lead back to what was called alternatively the the Black Eagle Trust or Yamashita's Gold and you know it was something that was outside of congressional oversight and etc and it plugs in with like so many people that I can't go into it right now but George H.W. Bush was like in the mix so during the process of accomplishing the main objective of destroying the Soviet Union with this dirty money, um, the operator, the operatives made massive profits. In September 91, George H.W. Bush and Alan Greenspan, both Pilgrim Society members, another secret society, financed $240 billion in illegal bonds to economically decimate the Soviet Union and bring Soviet oil and gas resources under the control of Western investors, backed by the Black Eagle Trust and supported later by Putin, who for the right price purged certain oligarchs. The $240 billion in and illegal bonds were apparently replaced with treasury notes backed by U.S. taxpayers. To conceal the clearance of $240 billion in fraudulent securities, the Federal Reserve, within two months, increased the money supply to pre-9-11 numbers, which resulted in the American taxpayer refinancing the $240 billion. And basically the idea was that this $240 billion in fraudulent securities created by Bush and Greenspan were created on September 10th, 1991, and used to destroy the Soviet Union. Union, and basically we're going to come due um, for payout on September 11th, uh, 2001, but then these planes miraculously come out of nowhere and fly right into, um, they they hit the two biggest securities brokers, uh, sorry, Cantor Fitzgerald, Euro Brokers, and Garbon Intercapital. Flight 11 struck just under the floors where Cantor Fitzgerald was located. Cantor Fitzgerald, with possible connections to U.S. intelligence apparatus, was America's biggest securities broker and apparently the main target. Within minutes, an explosion in the North's, North Tower's vacant 23rd floor, right under the offices of the FBI in Garbon Intercapital on the 25th floor, caused a huge fire from the 22nd to the 25th floors. At the same time, there was an explosion in the basement of the North Tower. A vault in the North Tower basement held less than $1 billion in gold, most, much of which was reportedly moved before 9-11. However, the government had hundreds of billions of dollars of securities, which were summarily destroyed. The Federal Reserve, untouched by the crisis at its downtown offices, they had backed everything up to a remote location, assumed emergency powers that afternoon. The $240 billion in securities was electronically cleared. Then, at flight at 903, flight 175, slammed in the 78th floor of the South Tower, just below the 84th floor where Eurobrokers were located. Um, Brian Clark, the manager at Eurobrokers, heard numerous explosions, apparently unrelated to what he referred as the oxygen-starved fire caused by the plane crash. Um, the September 11th attacks related to the financial improprieties during 
the preceding 10 years, which spurred at least nine federal investigations, which were initiated in 97-98, about the same time that Osama bin Laden, after 20 years as a CIA asset, announced a fatwa against the U.S. The records of many of those investigations were held in Building 6 and 7 and on the 23rd floor of the North Tower. Those investigations were sure to reveal the Black Eagle Trust shenanigans. Building 7, not hit by a plane, collapsed at 5.20 p.m., but was vacated as early as 9 a.m. when evacuees claimed to see dead bodies and sporadic fires uh, within the buildings. Um, by 2008 and even earlier, the covert securities were worth trillions. The securities used to decimate the Soviets and end the Cold War were stored in certain brokers' vaults in the World Trade Center where they were destroyed um, on September 11th. They would have come due for settlement and clearing on September 12th. The federal agency investigating those bonds, the Office of Naval Intelligence, was in the section of the Pentagon that was destroyed on September 11th. <laughs> and uh, renovations at the Pentagon were due to be completed on September 16th. However, the Office of Naval Intelligence, the entity that often monitors war games, was hurriedly moved. If they were monitoring the simultaneous war games that morning, they would have realized the games were used as, as a distraction from the actual assault. Whatever hit the Pentagon struck the Navy Command Center and the offices of the Chief of Naval Operations Intelligence plot. There were 125 fatalities in the Pentagon. 31% of them were people who worked in the Naval Command Center, the, office, the location of the Office of Naval Intelligence, and 39 of the 40 people who worked in the O&I died. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that so, was that was a lot, a lot there. But basically, yeah. this was like a fine. This was a, basically a way to simultaneously cover up the extremely wicked and illegal and like highly criminal um, financial crimes uh, that were done by like the Bush administ the first Bush administration to destroy the Soviet Union, and it's like this this bill was going to come due. In 2001, so in a way, I guess yeah. you know, George W. Bush had to be the president, and uh, and then these. I, I think it is interesting that to yeah. you know, but, the, but of course it's we don't have any we don't have any proof that 240 billion dollars in illegal securities was in fact created. We do my know they thing, did. Yeah, my, go ahead. My big thing is like, what would the real consequences have been if like assuming that all this is true like you know i'm not even i'm not sure about like yamashita's gold and all that stuff maybe like you know maybe they we'll get to that yamashita's when we do gold. mark lombardi that that there was yeah. there was really hard interlocks between those kind of those networks yeah. but anyways yeah but okay well anyway my big thing is like what would because as you know uh this author said previously like a lot of it was considered legal like uh a lot of it could be uh because you know they of course make the laws and mm -hmm. most people i think that if you found out that they used like unscrupulous financial means to destroy the soviet union most americans would be like okay good so <laughs> well, yeah, like yeah, yeah like mean, so you know what in a would, way. Real, would the consequences of that of those coming due really have been so catastrophic that it justified 9-11 that's like i don't and also, like, it kind of mixes up with the, if you're saying this is a controlled demolition, like, the whole idea that the planes hit the exact offices, like, that, you know, where these files were held, that almost seems un like an unnecessary clue. Uh, where well, like if the whole building is going to collapse anyway because they've wired it with thermite or whatever, then it's going to be just, destroyed just no to matter be, what. Just to be devil's advocate, I would say that they all they hit um, both planes hit slightly below or either directly or directly below the offices that they wanted to uh, supposedly target. So that would have basically trapped 
the people in those offices. It would either killed them instantly, destroyed their computers and their records, or it would have trapped them all up there so that they wouldn't be able to escape. Um, and, you know, maybe... Uh, there could be, and also in the basement, there was uh, a lot of securities records. So they would have had to basically, um, it, you know, it, it's like if you're going to pick a place to hit the building, you, you'd hit the most high value target on that building, but then you'd still have to bring it down to destroy all the records or create the excuse for the Federal Reserve to make an exception, you know, for the first time ever and electronically clear things without having physical evidence of them. Um, yeah, so in a way, it was almost that, like clearing the yeah. books, like clearing the old books of all the dirt that the Bushes had done through Iran-Contra yeah. and probably even earlier, and then starting a whole new era that was electronically recorded that was probably much easier to manipulate. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's the first time ever that we know, like, I definitely could see like that there were, like, I find it very believable that there was like a secret fund that was used like to uh, subvert like the like you know the the financial uh, solvency of the Soviet Union. That seems like a hundred percent like it would be almost unbelievable if that weren't the case. Like whether we can talk later about whether it was financed by Yamashita's gold, like and well, also like yes, like, drug trafficking things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that makes more. But what I would say, like you know, there it just seems to me that there might have been like a more like a effective way to deal with that than through doing i don't know if that that in and of itself justifies 911 like just from like a practical like real politique point of view if sure. that would be the I, best way to deal with that like you I'll, know i'll but. give you i'll give you this in in towards like that line of thinking that the bushes were so good at bureaucratic rat fuckery and compartmentalizing what they were doing and evade. I mean, they did kind of get mostly get away with Iran-Contra. It dinged the reputations a little bit, but the worst stuff of it never really came out and never got definitively tied to Bush, even though he was deeply involved in it. So I, I think, yeah, if you were going to cast doubt on this, it'd, it'd be like you know, another Bush just became president. Surely there had to be some way to kind of stonewall these investigations within the military that a Bush controlled, um, or the, whether it's the FBI or the CIA. They certainly have had no problem covering things up in the past um, and keeping things compartmentalized and even telling, like, the O&I investigators to, like, back off or, the you know, the Treasury Department or whoever it was. Um, I think that part maybe is something they could have managed. But then maybe as a counterpoint to that, the idea of doing this kind of spectacular mind war operation to change the consciousness of the American people to be ready for a whole new century of war and conquest and like imperialism in a much more aggressive way that America was not fully down with before 9-11. Um, yeah. That would have been something that would have been maybe very appealing to kind of not just cover up what they had done in the past, but continue and expand their plans and do it with like a clean slate. Now nobody's going to ask about, you know, it took years of Bush being a, a kind of chaotic horrible president in the 2000s for people to kind of start circling back to Iran-Contra and his dad. A lot of people would even, like, favorably compare H.W. to W. And, like, oh, well, he, he was moderate and, like, respectable and, like we've mentioned before. And, like, why is his son such a dummy? And I think, you know, perhaps that was a little bit of a put-on, the kind of bumbling uh, Texan 
caricature uh, and that, you know, I'm sure that H.W. Bush was more involved in the Bush administration, the the second Bush administration, than he let on. Like, oh, I just, you know, oh, we don't talk on the phone much. We don't really, uh, he doesn't really give me advice. It's like, dude, he was the fucking president. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like not even weird that he would give you advice, but like they, they always manage to make it seem very, you know, like I'm not being a helicopter parent, like telling him how to be president. But of course, all the people around Bush were like, were H.W. loyalists that were implicated, played various parts in, like, Iran-Contra and the whole 80s, you know, Reagan um, kind of, you know, wing of, like, American power. And they knew how all the systems worked. They knew how to move in the bureaucracies. And, like, I don't even know how necessary it was that George W. Bush was, like, fully read in on everything. But I'm sure that he, you know, kind of had some kind of awareness, uh, given his father's proximity to so much uh, evil covert shit. Um, so I don't know. I can't say for sure. I wish somebody had done more, like, digging into that. That's a theory that popped out in, like, 2010, and then I, I sort of never heard. The only other place I've kind of seen it is in the, the book Interlock, which is about Mark Lombardi, who definitely want to do a whole episode on him. He was the conceptual artist that um, in many ways, like, traced, you know, used art um, to to trace the financial, uh, covert financial networks of people in the Bush family and in CIA front companies and did a lot of work on things like Yamashita's gold and Iran-Contra and then was, like, mysteriously found dead uh, at, like, the height of his fame in, I think, the end of 2000 uh, while Bush was... Uh, or, no, early 2000 when Bush was running for president. Um, and then, of course, 9-11 happened a year later. But, uh, uh, but in that book, they mentioned that within his research... Or actually, not not his research, but people that have looked at his drawings uh, have kind of made this connection to the sort of Project Hammer theory um, of, you know, targeting specific... Uh, these buildings which held like the paper records that at, to some extent represented this like mass criminal mouthpiece. I mean if you tried to push 240 billion dollars through the securities markets that were fraudulent um, I imagine that would be disruptive and like too big to just kind of paper over unless there was a bigger crisis happening on top of it. So I still don't know exactly. I mean, does the chairman of the Federal Reserve, like, have the right to, like, sign a piece of paper and do that? Uh, it seems like they're doing it all the time nowadays. They can just kind of make up money and give it to a bank, you know, yeah. um, or lend it out in, in kind of weird ways. But maybe it was kind of, you know, a little bit less sophisticated. I can you know, definitely... This is I could definitely see the reverse where one is the opportunity for the other, you know, like if already, you know, 9-11 has happened and maybe like certain documents or whatever are being destroyed, like, and I, you know, even if we're saying like, you know, even if we say that it's the same people who have orchestrated 9-11 for other reasons, like you mentioned, like maybe, uh, you know, it's for, to, for, maybe it's this meticulously planned occult ritual or maybe it's, uh, something that's more of a, a psyop, uh, or you know both, I guess, because we've really talked about the link between these two domains. But uh, for whatever reason, like you know, I think after, like whatever you think about the actual events of 9/11, I think after the fact, it makes sense as a justification in itself. Like it just seems like a lot, like that for that to be the reason for it. But I think that it's interesting because I think that there's something about the design and the character of 9-11 that, like, makes 
this type of like that fuels this type of speculation and these type of ideas about like you know trying to pin down like who was responsible and i think that it often like no like when you come up with these answers like and these sort of motivations again like what sk bain comes up with is so grandiose but Mm -hmm. it almost like that is what feels viscerally like it fits in a way that it, like that's the kind of stuff that feels suited to the magnitude of what like we experienced and it, uh, it has you know, it has a dracularity to it yeah exactly that we drac- recognize yeah it has a as intuitively to kind it. of real yeah because basically more or less the culprit of uh 9-11 according to sk bain is dracula or like worse is satan you know, like so. Uh, you know, or Satan's or the, direct de- the devotees of yeah, Satan. exactly. Uh, under his, yeah, exactly under his direction. You know, so the idea of that like is uh, it's that's more satisfying in someone because I think that there's something whether or not you know one believes that or one like uh, you know subscribes to the idea. The I think that there's something to the fact that what other the other explanations they usually seem inadequate in some way they usually feel like not quite sufficient like you know uh when we're they somehow add up to less than like the sum of their parts yeah even if you Um, have all of these data points um you know listed of all the strange anomalies and all these different things uh it 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 kind of adds up to still it doesn't feel like an intuitively kind of complete narrative there's still these big dark gaps of kind of you know i think it's just so far beyond our understanding that people within kind of the most secret reaches of government and business and like the intelligence world and the military could sort of collaborate to bring about such a thing for any reason it's so why it's so kind of overwhelmingly sinister and doesn't map onto our popular conceptions of how any of these institutions are supposed to work yeah is that it, think, it, yeah it's an yeah. immense dracularity yeah there's an immense dracularity my daddy served in the army we lost his right eye but he flew a flag out in our yard till the day that he died he wanted my mother my brother my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free now this nation that i love is falling under attack a mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back
This big dog will fight when you rattle his cage And you'll be sorry that you mess with the U.S. of A. Cause we'll put a boot in your ass It's the American way Hey Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist And the eagle will fly And I think that, yeah, there's a sense that uh, yeah, there's something where we feel that these things are in some way, like, you know, a fulfillment of an ex. Like, uh, even, you know, to his credit, Bill Maher, who's one of the most, like, loathsome uh, public <laughs> figures, like, today, you know, he was one of the people who said, like, you know, oh, I feel like we had it coming, which I think he was referring to, like, U.S. foreign policy, which, you know, fair enough. Did he say that, or, or did he say that that, or I mean, or he also said that he thought that you know, say what you want, but the hijackers were had courage. Oh, maybe he said that, but I thought I thought that he said that we had it coming in some way. But like, he I might mean, have I, said that as well. Yeah, I've always had a little bit of a problem with the uh, characterization of those people as being cowards because I feel it. But anyway, like you know, it's funny that yeah. that was one of the most popular things. Like, well, like it anyway, got him uh, canceled in two thousand one from yeah, politically exactly. incorrect. Which weirdly, S. K. Bain actually, Bill Maher is mentioned once because um, the wife of Ted Olson who was uh, a, I think, a lawyer for the Bush administration and the Bush campaign that was, like, instrumental in winning Bush v. Gore, which made Bush president. His wife was on a flight to L.A. on 9-11, which was also Ted Olson's birthday, which is weird. Um, But she was on a flight to L.A. to uh, be a guest on a recording of Bill Maher's Politically Incorrect. Huh. And so, um, like, she was supposed to be on Bill Maher's show, but then her plane got hijacked, and she ended up getting flown into the World Trade Center. And she is one of the few people. There were several of these people that made a phone call to her husband, and um, and allegedly, you know, they were able to talk, and he informed her of like the buildings were crashing into the World Trade Center, and um, and you know, kind of like corroborated like the official story of whatever was going on, more or less. But then other people have questioned like. Like, it's very unclear, like, did she use a, an airplane phone on her seat or did she use her cell phone when they were at low altitude? Nobody's ever, like, kind of clarified that. S.K. Bain seems very suspicious yeah, of, of the these whole, phone of calls. The calls. And I remember Loose Change also was very suspicious. I remember that's, yeah. like, one of the things I remember most vividly from Loose Change. They only watched once, like, all those years ago. But I remember one guy was like, hi, Mom, it's Rob. Like, you know, and yeah, they were like, who identifies themselves to their own mother or whatever, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> No, some know, of the like, uh, Bane says in the book that, like, the, according to the like the interviews with the people who got these calls, they kind of said things that you know they innocently described things as kind of like it was so weird. Like, I didn't hear yeah. any yelling or crying in right. the background. It sounded like they were just like sitting in a room somewhere, and like they weren't even flying, and they sounded really calm. Yeah, it was like got the let's roll call. Oh, and let's yeah, yeah. Let, lest we forget, yeah, let's roll came from one of those phone calls on Flight right. 93, where um, and the woman wrote like a best-selling book. About about it that was called yeah. like let's roll about like yeah. her husband right she was the one who was like he seemed so calm like there wasn't any yelling like i wouldn't have even known what was going on i thought i would have thought it was a crank call or something she that's said. what she yeah. said she said she would yeah. have thought it was a crank call which uh you know yeah. is it's technologically possible but uh yeah. you know of course michael Luce aquino says making a big deal about like how those sort of plane call systems were just recently installed or whatever but 
Um, I remember yeah. them as a kid. Like there were phones on you. Could, you know, I forget exactly how they would work. They were kind of cumbersome, but um, yeah. you know, like the, I think the late '90s, a lot of planes, like especially yeah. cross country, had them. Um, so like maybe that was it. But uh, and yeah. also the fact that they weren't, they were able to talk for minutes, which people said. I think in the Let's Roll case, it was on a cell phone, and like they said that was a kind of like it was a miracle. Like, you know, because, like, that was so impossible to keep a steady, you know, back in, like, the LTE, like, 1G era of, like, 2001, that was so unlikely that you could get a call flying at any altitude to stay connected for, like, you know, I don't know, five, seven minutes or something like that was uh, incredibly rare and unlikely, but it must have been, you know, a miracle, Right, yeah, she said that it was a miracle. But, yeah, going back to – sorry, I just want to finish my thought about Bill Maher's comment. Uh, sure. I think that there's actually, like, a broader sense in which that can be taken, which is that – and this kind of goes back to these sort of uh, precognitions that people had of the event. Like, I remember there was, like, a pulled trailer for the first Spider-Man, uh, yeah. which, speaking of, like, 9-11 era music, has, like, one of the oh, most amazing – hero. Yeah, hero to save yeah, like, not, the hero could save us. Not good, not yeah, there was, like, a pulled – yeah, <laughs> there was a hold on to the wings of the eagles. Yeah. That was really that, that yeah. kind of that era. Yeah. Well, who's that guy? Saliva, the other guy. Uh, yeah, the lead I, yeah, right. Saliva. He was the right the the guest star on that because of course it was Nickelback who sang the actual song. But, Just, like I yeah. said, a, a grim um, era in American music, like right. 2001, 2002. Like really, yeah. Ugh. Talk about yeah. predictive programming. All this like psychotic yeah. like. Let the, I was listening to Let the Bodies at the floor this morning because i remember that was like the anthem of like invading iraq basically and how the lead singer like died on his tour bus like i think he might have i don't know choked on his own vomit or something he drowned like you know just like i don't know but then i listened to that song it's like so evil and just like but well produced it's really well produced like there's fucking money behind it actually you know who just released an album on september 11th this week uh marilyn manson Oh, right. Yeah, I was seeing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so there was, uh, there was a pulled trailer for that Spider-Man movie where, like, a helicopter, like, was attacked by thugs or whatever, you know, spy- by baddies. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, it, like, spread out of control, and then it was, like, caught on a web, like, right in between the Twin Towers, you know? And there was yeah, that episode. Yeah, it was. That was very right. iconic. Yeah, and there was that episode, um, yeah, but ended up, of course, being pulled. But, like, uh, mm-hmm. there was also that episode years earlier of the X-Files off a lone gunman where yeah. the, the pilot that was literally the plot was to crash commercial airliners into the world trade center so yes. there was like a, there, notion, a lot of predictive weird yeah like the, the idea that the in the 9-11 commission report that like all these no cia guys ever, said yeah. like no, it was a failure of imagination there was literally a tom clancy novel from like i think the mid 90s that it wasn't about the world trade center but it was about a uh in uh, basically a terrorist i can't remember if it was an islamic terrorist but it probably would have been um who hijacks a commercial airliner and flies it into the capital during the state of the union address and like kills most of the u.s government oh yeah like a designated survivor type situation kind of yeah it was like designated survivor basically and um and then like jack ryan has to you know uncover the plot and so like you know spooks love reading tom clancy books uh they really so i find it hard to believe that nobody at langley caught that one and you know had you know their imagination just failed um (laughs) 
to conceive yeah. of it. It it's a and then uh, what, what else? I remember there was some hip hop album uh, that oh, was oh the like, coup you know, actually it was yeah it was the interestingly coup, yeah. Boots Riley who's now like the sort of communist the filmmaker hero, du jour uh, yeah um, uh, sorry to bother you who you know uh, yeah like uh, yeah they were like smacking their drum sticks together and then the World Trade Center like blew up but yeah like I mean they're a symbol of like capitalist like global domination so like obviously like for someone of that sensibility like it would be a tar- and I think that there's like on some level a subconscious idea of like that this is like asking for like you know that these symbols are like people know that these are provocative that like these are mm-hmm. like a, you know uh, something that uh, like is representative of uh, sort of a deep uh, like sin or pollution in American culture um, yeah. and yeah. I think that like uh, you know and it, it has to do a lot with how people processed like the culprits and processed like the challenge of Islam as being like the new kind of you know uh, like you know the, the new great enemy you know mm-hmm. the new the new communist like sort of, the new sort of uh, cold war threat like people processing this kind of spiritual challenge like I think that there is kind of a sense of like the way that was shaped I think was kind of like uh, a uh, unconscious kind of acting out of America's like spiritual poverty that mm-hmm. caused us to like latch on so much to that idea of the critique because like you know as uh, you mentioned earlier like the culprits like from what we know weren't exactly like the most pious Muslims like neither was I mean bin Laden obviously what did style himself like that way but uh, but he was also you know, like a yeah. rich kid boomer from yeah, the sure. second richest yeah, family yeah. in Saudi Arabia Absolutely. who like went off to like do the equivalent of kind of joining an ashram but it happened right. to be like serving with the Mujahideen sure. in Afghanistan and 100% yeah yeah, yeah. and like, no, he's that's how I see him as kind yeah. of this aloof kind of um wannabe ascetic kind of boomer idealist who um and you know it bears mentioning and Bain quotes this in the book that like he resolutely denied having anything to do with 9-11 like after it happened and he like his library had all those books of like 9-11 conspiracy literature like in it yeah and like Illuminati people Um, were making fun of like his porn collection recently that 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 gets trotted out every few years but like the it's really fascinating when they released and I mean grain of salt because it's like the military releasing this but there were a ton of books they claimed in his possession that were all about like who really did 9-11 yeah (laughs) exactly which is like you know Um, he's sitting he's sitting there in his little compound like basically a prisoner um you know yeah. and reading like how did he get fingered for the like how did he get suckered kind of like you know lee harvey oswald a little bit into becoming the scapegoat yeah um yeah it's interesting yeah I, i've definitely heard some various takes on his like on the uh released list of books that he had in his porn collection so obviously people have been like no he didn't really have porn like that's you know slander on not lbl but um <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's interesting. I think it has to do with how people processed ISIS as well and, like, all that stuff. Yeah, it's seen as, like, oh, you know, like, the our, this is a challenge to, like, modernity, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and people know, like, if people have a sense that our modern way of life is, like, unsustainable in various ways or, like, we're separated from spirituality, but, like, so they see these threats as being, like, an expression of that, but really, like, the perpetrators of certain bin Laden and also, like, you know, ISIS. ISIS, those are very much like modern phenomenons. Oh, like, they're are absolutely yeah, like, monsters of modernity, 100%. Yeah, sure. um, yeah. And you see that with like, 
yeah, what was it, Syed Qutb, um, yeah. the influential Islamist who studied at, like, the University of Chicago at the same time that, like, all the neocons were going there and kind of yeah. imbibed a lot of the same philosophical precepts. Uh, but he, he ended up kind of revolting against modernity, but also was, like, so heavily influenced by it. He was and, radicalized by going to a church social where they played Baby It's Cold outside, which is one of, um, the, like, the best <laughs> passages of Syed Qutb. Uh, you know, I mean... He, like, you know, he's a complex figure. He's a complex figure. You know, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But definitely Bin um, Laden, I mean, he got he cut his teeth as a basically a CIA operative, um, yeah. you know, in Afghanistan. And then I, I think later on we will do an episode about, like, his murk, the murkiness of his, like, 1990s movements. We can get a little more into, like, hard history there. Um, I definitely want to, at some point, talk about the al-Qaeda connection to Liberia, um, yeah. which was uh, incorporated into a screenplay I wrote a few years ago. Um, about the uh, Liberian, uh, Liberian uh, President Charles Gonke Taylor and how they were, there were reports that they were laundering up to a hundred million dollars in cash into blood diamonds in the Sierra Leone border regions where there was a civil war going on. And this was done under the auspices of former, like, confirmed former CIA asset slash, like, brutal warlord uh, Charles Taylor. Um, and then was kind of, like, almost used as, like, a weapon against Taylor in the early 2000s, but then was, like, buried completely and, like, oh, we're not going to talk about this anymore. But, like, there were all these, like, people that were wanted for the bombings of the Kenya and Tanzania embassies were, like, there, like, passing along duffel bags to, like, basically make their assets liquid because diamonds are one of the best money-laundering vessels uh, in the kind of pre-digital sense uh, that you could have. You could shove a bag of them in your sock and, you know, uh, smuggle, like, millions of dollars around. Um, But, like, there was all kinds of weird uh, kind of CIA tentacles. I mean, the al-Qaeda popped up in in Bosnia and Kosovo, like, with the Kosovo Liberation Army, which was, like, really into, like, drug trafficking and... uh, and as late as, like, the mid-'90s, they were kind of on the same side as us in, like, the Yugoslav Civil War. And then, um, yeah, just, like, something happened. It's not clear, like, what his, you know... We talk about, like, a little bit of the personality of this guy, Osama bin Laden, who allegedly masterminded all this shit. Um, it, it's, like, not clear at what point he, you know decided that uh, we need to declare a global jihad against the United States um, and kind of what really motivated that for him. Like, did he realize, like, they were the great Satan after all? Did he just want them out of the Persian Gulf? Um, Like, was he just a silly boomer being used by the Saudi royal family to do things that they didn't want to be concretely associated with because a lot of the Saudi royals gave him gave the hijackers money that's come out that's yeah. a, a fact um it's very like it's still it just gets so kind of nefarious and murky but uh but maybe that's a, a different um you know that yeah, that's something cool we could tackle more episode or it'd be cool to do an obl episode or you know something yeah about his work and his his activities in the 90s or anything you know yeah over the 80s and 90s and um he's definitely responsible for the emergence of uh you know jihad as a term into our consciousness which is uh in the title of our of our podcast it is. Um, yeah, that's another thing sense. about like people just did not know anything about Islam or Muslims at all. No. Like until you know, it really that is like a huge 
transformation. Uh, you know, I I definitely didn't know what a Muslim was before 9-11 uh, or, you know, anything like that. I didn't really know for a while afterwards, to be honest. But, yeah, <laughs> I um, was, you know, I, w- I was generally aware, uh, uh, you know, I remember a history teacher kind of, um, you know, giving us a, a kind of sitting us down and he wrote the name. I still remember. I think his name was Bodhi Singh. And he was a gas station owner, I think, or a 7-Eleven owner in Arizona who was a Sikh. And some guy walked in a few days after 9-11 and shot him in the head because he thought he was a Muslim. And he, like, explained to all of us that—and I only knew this because one of my friends growing up was half Sikh. So, like, I knew that, like, the turbans that the Sikhs wear are very different. (laughs) Like, they're not the same religion. And after they've had a lot of, like, antagonism over the centuries. Like, Mm -hmm. they they might get offended if you, you know, uh, misreligion them. Um, And, like, basically explained that, like, that's why you don't just go targeting people. (laughs) Like, you know, you don't just—the Muslims did it. Like, that's why you don't go out and be a fucking idiot. And— just like shoot somebody who you think like you know that that's tremendously uh you know dangerous and like nobody should be doing that and uh i mean i think you know there there was a big backlash in america but also bush i mean in contrast to somebody like trump really maybe because he was such good friends with the saudis um really downplayed the kind of critique against like islam in general while simultaneously kind of promoting this sort of crusader narrative yeah it was kind of he was doing both things at the same time a little bit yeah, he definitely popularized the idea of, like, Islam as being the religion of peace, which I feel like most Muslims, like, could definitely take or leave, at the very least, if they're not, like, openly hostile to it. Like, it's just something that really—I feel like people who hate Islam have more of an attachment to the idea, the meme of Islam as a religion of peace than Muslims do at this point, uh, just because it's something like whenever some Muslim does something, you know, it's like, oh, the religion of peace again, you know. Oh like, yeah, uh, yeah, they, they say yeah. they say that more in mockingly Ex- towards Islam yeah, than yeah, yeah. Muslims sincerely say about themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like most Muslims, like kind of acknowledge that, like we have like a just war theory, like most people do. Like we have yeah. an idea of like ju- violence being justified in some cases, like and mm-hmm. sometimes people apply that wrongly, you know. But anyway, like uh, yeah, yeah.
one of the uh, I think it's uh, interesting to talk about like uh, a little bit more about SK Bane's like uh, um, you know uh, environment her his work environment back at, at the Weekly Standard and kind of emphasize some of the people he worked with but um, so just Tucker Carlson but one thing I definitely wanted to touch on which I feel like is a big theme in uh, conspiracy literature especially that which is tinged with the occult which I think Escavian really captures like the idea of like satanic mockery, which I think mm-hmm. is like a very interesting but like very slippery concept. Because when you deal with this, uh, I'll read what he has to say about this. Uh, one of the key like uh, examples of it, for instance, that he uses is he talks about how like the landfill that a lot of the like wreckage was taken to was uh, called like Fresh Kills on Staten Island. Yeah. So the idea is that like this is like you know satanic mockery, you know. Um, and uh yeah but yeah, I, I could take yeah. it i could take it or leave it yeah it, well know? it's like that's the thing it's like it can be a slippery slope where it's like you know it gets rid of the idea of like oh why would these people tip their hand in this way you know why would they like do this and it's like well you know they're intentionally they're rubbing it in your face you know so like yeah. i feel like that it's but i think that there are some interesting ideas that like uh he gets into this through making a link between Sarasota, Florida, where the, the pilots were trained. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, uh, yet another highly attractive aspect of Sarasota from an occult perspective is that in 1919, Ringling Brothers Circus established its winter home there. Oh, Performers yeah. and staff members began to settle in Sarasota, as did some of the seven Ringling Brothers, all of whom were Masons. Yep. Decades later, in 1968, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College located there. Um, as well, and new CIA recruits were reportedly sent to the college from Langley to learn sleight of hand. Clowns are modern incarnations of the trickster deity, of which mm-hmm. Hermes, Pan, and Satan are all prime examples. The trickster clown is a Jungian archetype, and the most ancient clowns have been found in the fifth dynasty of Egypt. Though inverted speech, illogical actions, mimicry of spirits and animals, and ludicrous acrobatic stunts, clowns perform through them. Uh, functions attributed to tricksters in mythology, blurring boundaries, toying with social and sexual rules, and mixing the obscene with the sacred. There has emerged a much darker contemporary image of the clown, however, the evil clown, in which the playful trope of the clown is rendered disturbing through the use of horror elements and dark humor. Cultural critic Mark Derry has theorized the postmodern archetype of the evil clown in Cotton Candy Autopsy, Deconstructing the Psycho Killer Clowns. So, uh, <laughs> tracking the that image of the demented, yeah, or deviant clown across popular culture, Derry analyzes Pogo the Clown, uh, the persona of the serial killer John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. the obscene clowns of the neo-situationist coffin society the joker of batman fame the mm-hmm. grotesque rk sloan the sick funny bobcat ghost weight uh, comedy shakes the clown and stephen king's it using mccall bakhtin's theory of the carnivalesque which is like you know the i, I kind of roll my eyes every time i hear that come up because it's like the stock like uh, academic theory and the, like you know thing to use in the humans but anyway the carnivalesque historical yeah writings on the images of the especially in like their performance or theater uh-huh. uh on the images of the fool and myth and history and ruminations on the mingling of ecstasy and th- dread in the information age Derry asserts the evil clown is an icon of our times um and yeah i think that's definitely spot on i mean i feel like this article uh which i haven't read but i'd be interested to read is like from a different order of like credibility from Mm -hmm. like the kind of conspiracy uh literature world but uh you know uh the the domain of like cultural critique or whatever but i think that it would be interesting. Uh, I think it's definitely spot on in that. I think I like the the idea of the evil clown as an icon. You know, there of course. Well, I mean, I mean, like the evil clown. It, yeah. we, it's not been that long. I think it was in the fall of 2016 when there was a spate of bizarre evil clown sightings that were 
constantly popping up around the country. I remember near... Kind of near where I grew up in the East Bay, an evil clown tried to take a woman's baby away from her outside of a Denny's, and she, like, beat up the clown, and, like, he ran away. But, like, there was some really creepy shit going on in the fall of 2016 leading up to the ultimate clown... Uh, the ultimate orange clown. Yeah. The mm-hmm. ultimate Joker, a president right. Joker, getting elected in a shocking, almost like a. It, I think some people did kind of experience it as kind of a psychic mini 911. Nine eleven of the soul in a way. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think that he. I, I think when maybe next uh, episode, depending on what our topic is. There could be some discussion of this because I think that that's an interesting aspect of Trump as like kind of a clown figure or uh, what I always think about when I think about Trump. I'll talk about this later, but I think about the great parody as a concept uh, from Rene Guénon. Um, oh, but like, uh, yeah, like, uh, but anyway, yeah, I think that that idea, that idea is intriguing. I think that the line between like, uh, you know, what's sort of funny, like for instance, like phallic symbols like obviously are very important like the wasp scepter you know in ancient egypt or whatever or osiris with his like erect member and like if the phallic baphomet uh, with the the staff of Uh, whose staff is it that is like his dick basically um i don't know who uh staff of of i don't know uh might be hermes uh, i don't know maybe oh oh, the as alscapius is that what you're thinking about might be yeah it might uh, be that's the yeah kind of like medical symbol but anyway um i don't know if that's yeah with the with that. the uh yeah exactly the medical symbol the two snakes right. around yeah it. Um, um but yeah i think that it's inter- like you know because a lot of the things that we consider ritually powerful also have like a con- you know of course because like fa- like you know big like dicks like phallus like that are like funny you know like in ancient greek satyr plays things like that mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it's like, yeah uh, i think that yeah and of course the you big know, phallic about, twin towers yeah and in kenneth anger and stuff like yeah you can definitely see like the and that's kind of what i think we've been talking about through this whole podcast like you know through all the episodes and it'll continue to be a theme like whenever you talk about the especially in this like in our modern day when you talk about like the occult or you talk about symbology you talk about these things like you know uh trying to reconcile with like science or like being serious or whatever like there's this uh like patine over it of like oh well you can't be serious like that yeah. you know so i think, well, that I think he said yeah. in one of the other quotes that like you know uh the 20th century mankind um even though they think they've dispelled these sort of superstitious secret ritual kind of ways of, you know, affecting the world, that they're actually all the more susceptible to it. Because, one, there's technology that can kind of do it to you in a much more effective way. And secondly, uh, just the the sort of the, the ontological, like, framework of modernity makes you so much less able to believe that these things could exist outside yeah. of a traditional kind of scientific framework and thus makes us much more susceptible to being psychologically manipulated, whether there's any, like, real quote-unquote magic involved or not. If it has an effect on you, it's it, it it's it's a phenomenon that's worth looking at. Yeah, I think that, at. yeah, experience is, like, the level that I always, like, take this on. Like, you know, when people say, like, oh, well, you're not really possessed by a demon. Well, if someone is experiencing themselves as being possessed by a demon, like, all that you fucking say doesn't matter. You know, like, yeah. you you know, like, you saying, like, oh, that's not true. Demons aren't real. Like, well, if someone <laughs> is experiencing demonic possession, then, like, all your, like, you know, grandstanding about, like, whatever, like, belief 
that's a good have, point. Has has like, a demonic it doesn't ha, matter. Ha, like, has an exorcism ever been performed with facts and logic successfully? Like, well, yeah, like that's the thing. Like you know, if you can't, yeah, if you can, like do something where like you use your scientific knowledge to make this person say like, oh wow, like uh, the demon's gone. Like I guess I wasn't really you know or like i guess you were right then maybe that's like different but like that very rarely i don't know if that ever happened yeah, i mean i'm not even talking like, about using know, but, like facts and yeah. logic in the terms of like using real medicine or yeah. like medical techniques uh but i mean like literally s- sitting with somebody and explaining to them that they're being religious and that demons aren't real like can you talk somebody out of feeling like they're demonically possessed by just using like rational well you no, know, you secular you logic. I don't do think that. that works. You usually can't do that by using actual psychotherapy and like med, like you know, uh, psychiatric medicine. A lot of the time, you know, like uh, a lot of the time, that's not a hundred percent effective in making people believe that they're not possessed either. Yeah. So certainly, sitting down and explaining, you know, so uh, yeah. yeah, like, but that's like a little bit of a digression. <laughs> In a matter of seconds, the skyscraper collapsed and was gone. of the 400 firefighters who first reached the scene may be dead. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. 10,000 people in each tower would typically be in there on a normal business day, and we get about another 5,000 visitors during the course of the entire day. So by 39 o'clock, the building should have been full. Terrorism has been alive and well throughout the rest of the world for a very, very long time, and you can point to it in many different places, and it's, it's come to our shores big time now. We need to understand that. I think we would be remiss in all this before we go if we did not mention an aspect of most dangerous book in the world, 9-11 as mass ritual, which was something that SK Bain termed black Christmas. And this is, this is when SK Bain having laid out the sort of supposed occult script for 9-11 uses those same tools to predict when the next major Luciferian mass ritual terrorist attack was going to happen. And would you like to, in extreme, an overview that. in extreme detail, in extreme detail, um, it's almost it, it, got, it got replaced and put. I think it was in the first edition of the book. It was like it probably constituted like the second half of it, to be honest. It's so much, but then yeah. they moved it to the appendix because, as we will see, uh, uh, Black Christmas in 2012 did not happen. Yes, it was supposed to be like a nuclear attack in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, again, which would again be blamed on on Muslims. Yeah, basically, the it maybe was moved to the appendix, but the like extent of it in well, the edition that you can find on Scribd um, still like you know is the same. Like he has the same number anal- of anal- the same amount of analysis of this fictional event as he does of nine eleven. Like it, it, and it's almost all... more so in some respects. 
Yeah. So like, like he, he and, goes deeper into it. Yeah, and he, to his credit, I, well, I don't know if you want to put this to his credit or not, but uh, to his something, he has not like backed down from the idea that this, what even though it didn't come true, is valuable. Like he still says like it should have happened or something. You know, it made so much sense that it should have happened. We need to understand like why it didn't happen, and that's why we need to analyze. Uh, you know, this. Did, did he ever did he ever postulate that it was the publication of his book by Trine Day in 2012 that perhaps exposed this thing before it happened and then led to them calling an audible and not doing it? Um, may, I don't know if he has said that, but I think that maybe like in one of the introductions to it, someone said, like, you know, we can only hope. And I think that maybe he at first said, like, I, I hope by publishing this. um you know, something, uh, will, like, prevent this from happening, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to look back now into his, uh, into the, uh, Black Christmas appendix to see, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, S.K. Bain loves his, uh, like, you know, w- like, uh, witty sort of satirical titles, and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, of course, this event was supposed to occur on Christmas Day, so the first chapter is ho ho holy shit but anyway uh yeah and the forward um which i guess yeah i guess this actually is sk bain's forward Uh, peter lavenda wrote another intro to this but um you know the uh the the forward uh he says like uh if only we had been able to use the occult script from 9-11 to decode their plans sooner in advance maybe just maybe this might have allowed us to stop their next act of false flag terror if only (laughs) so he's writing as if it has happened but you know he's kind of saying like if only we had done this but now it's already happened because it's all like in the past tense like it's already actually occurred um it's uh, preordained in a way yeah, Peter Lavenda also wrote a forward to that. Yeah, it's very interesting when he connects it with, um, you know, uh, theater. He talks about, like, haven't we finally realized that taking off our shoes and belts at the airports is nothing more than theater? And isn't the root of theater ritual itself? Yes. Mm, you know, that's pretty, kind like, of a, it reminds you of pretty, some, the, pretty, some of the things people say about corona and, like, uh, wearing a mask and six feet. Like, why is it six feet? Uh, hmm, is this some kind of ritual uh, indoctrination? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, um, like, uh, yeah, I don't uh, know. I mean, I guess, like, yeah, but definitely I've heard, like, all the stuff about, like, the mark of the beast and, like, stuff, like, going on with, uh, with uh, that. But, yeah, like, um, no, yeah, it's a pretty pedestrian uh, comment, but I think it's, like, super important to, like, uh, the performative aspect. And this is certainly, like, a very performative Appendix, like you know, he definitely yeah. has a performative uh, and dramatic streak. S.K. Bain, where he talks about, uh, you know, Black Christmas, like with all this gusto. Like you gotta, you know, uh, it really takes something to be able to like put so much confidence in the idea that this is gonna happen. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. like um, you know, he, uh, yeah, he really. Um, it's not so, and it's not something that people were necessarily, you know, calling for or kind of yeah. demanding that he do, but he went out and did it anyways and kind of blew up in his face. But the but I mean it's it's about half the book that you can find on yeah. Scribid is the appendix, most of which has to do with his predictions. And, you know, obviously there's a ton of uh, symbolism with the Phoenix, uh, you know, the mythical bird. Um I don't know. I didn't see him mention the Phoenix program in Vietnam. That seemed what it, like no, that would be a natural uh, 
natural Yeah, actually, fit. in Googling around about SK Bane getting ready for this episode, I found, like, one guy complaining that SK Bane kind of fingered people like uh, W as being, like, the high priest, and he's like, what about Aquino? You know, he doesn't mention him at all, so... like That, that is almost know, suspicious. Like, like, how do you mm. miss that? I said in the Aquino episode, if you dig around conspiracy theories and dark occult stuff long enough online, you will run into Aquino pretty quickly, and it's yeah, funny that he didn't. Maybe he's mentioned in his new book on, on Satan. I haven't read it. Maybe I, I should have before this. Neither but have I. Yeah, if not, perhaps it's better now. But, yeah, um, it's, you'd think that he would come across him because he still, like, runs a conspiracy blog, which I think is, like, the most dangerous blog in the world or something. <laughs> like, uh, but, yeah, um, I think that you, maybe we have some audio from your SK Bane performance of the discussion of Black Christmas. Um, yeah, yeah, like, where, gotta, like, you know, the, the operator gets a call, and it's just a man, like, muttering Allahu Akbar again and yeah. again, like, in prayer. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. The blast, the, the blast radius, like, blinded everybody for miles, and yeah. um, it, it was very, yeah, um, I'll yeah, probably play it, some of that. December 25th, 2012, Phoenix, Arizona. The unmarked white lorry-style delivery van traveled south down Interstate 17, taking the Capitol exit and then turning onto 17th Street, again traveling south until it stopped directly in front of the Arizona State Capitol building at 1700 West Washington Street. The driver sat motionless, eyes tightly closed, repeating, Allahu Akbar, God is great, over and over to the 9-11 operator. 8.15 a.m., the sun glinted off the circular stainless steel band that was the primary element of Arizona's 9-11 memorial, situated in the park directly in front of the Capitol. Then, a brilliant, instantaneous flash, appearing as a second sun, superheating the air around it. The fireball traveled outward at unimaginable speed, incinerating almost everything in its path. In the surrounding blast zones, the horror was unspeakable. The suffocating heat, the smoke-filled air, the screams of the injured, the moans of the dying. Those nearest the blast who had survived and managed to make their way out of the burning buildings couldn't get their bearings. All familiar landmarks had disappeared. They wandered aimlessly in a choking sea of smoke, a literal hell on earth. And, uh, and you know, this is... Um, it's I guess extremely detailed. Like, uh, you know, he like makes up fake quotes by like Janet Napolitano and stuff like that. You know, uh -huh. like, uh, yeah, as the morning he, t he on, touches on all kinds of yeah. things that were going on at the time. And it's kind of an interesting rewind now that we live in sort of the Q infested, uh, you know, world that we do now um, of seeing kind of like 2012 era conspiracy theories. You know, he dedicates no small amount of time to sort of debunking what was very popular back then, which was kind of this obsession with the Mayan apocalypse in December 21st, 2012, right. which is also the winter solstice. But according to like the Mayan calendar was going to be this uh, this shifting of aeons or a kind of uh, apocalyptic event, um, though it was mostly like white people who didn't know much about Mayan astrology yeah. or culture, uh, kind of making these kind of goofy claims, but you could see it all over. It was kind of in the air, like 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 we mentioned in the last episode, like History Channel. That was around the time they started putting a bunch of like ancient aliens yeah. and kind of 2012 uh, type, you know, pop history documentaries. Um, yeah. 
all over the all over the airwaves. So you know, it wasn't weird back then for some bro. Like, what do you think, man? Twenty twelve, yo, it was crazy. You know, like, uh, but S. K. Bain, like, really, you know, he said that is obviously foolish. And he pivoted yeah. in a hard, different direction and said, no, you don't understand. Like, it's not going to be the 21st. It's going to be the 25th. It's going to be Christmas 2012. Yes. Um, yeah. He was like, it's funny because he actually says, like, very, uh, like, correctly, you know, given that mainstream mind scholars never support the notion that the culture had viewed this date as anything other than the end of one block of time than the other. The minds created a sophisticated system of interlocking calendar markings in, uh, marking various increments of time. And December 21st, 2012, merely corresponded to the end of 13 Bakhtun, a Bakhtun being a period of 144,000 days. So it's funny that, like, he is able to, yeah, like, see this, like, with such clarity, like, but, yeah, um, some of the, yeah. yeah um, but, yeah, like, uh, he, yeah, he talks, well, because the, the, yeah, the date of Christmas has that uh, special power. He says, like, despite all the jokes about nuking Christmas and the like, there was, in their black minds, an unmatchable beauty in using the power that fuels the sun to make a most fitting mass sacrifice by immolation to the true light bearer upon the dawning of the new great age, the age of Lucifer. Um, so, yes, he is, uh, yeah, all in on, on Black Christmas and... Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he brings up like the the um, the Gabby Giffords shooting and kind of right, alludes yeah. to uh, that perhaps like the, the shooter of that Jared Loeffner was a victim of mind control, which actually is something that uh, yeah, uh, actually, if you've ever if you've ever seen his creepy YouTube videos from back, I remember back in the day looking at those before I was really sort of MK pilled and like it was like all these like weird kind of like theorems that were like uh like I am like the mind controller is the contro- controller right, of the mind. Yeah, he kept and then, talking like, about the mind I, controller. I control the mind. Therefore, I am the mind controller. And then there was like he burned an American flag out in the desert and put uh, the body song by Drowning Pool over it. And he was like uh. wearing a mask or something and just like completely uh, like there's a whole rat, uh, a whole rash of um, of like these mass shooters around that era that seemed very like bizarrely MK'd and maybe you know we, we could go back again the other day but he was he was referencing a lot of things like that and like the fact that like her husband was a twin and they were both astronauts and you know there's probably some weird serious uh you know connection to that yeah and um, um actually one interesting like side note about it is he spends a few chapters doing a pretty thorough takedown of sheriff joe arpaio the yeah, sheriff of maricopa county in arizona and um talks about like the sort of concentration camp um you know conditions and also the fact that he was like kind of this like publicity whore um for uh you know uh, basically what people forget but like the one public official in the country that was really on like the obama birth certificate circuit and was making a big stink about it was joe arpaio and i just want to read a little bit here from one of the appendices uh, titled Bread and Circus, where Bain writes, Arpaio launched himself smack into the middle of a sideshow tent already filled with too many quirky characters to list. Although we must acknowledge, on again, off again, ringleader, 
Senator Donald Trump, who for some for who for quite some time seemed no more able to make up his mind whether Obama was eligible or ineligible than whether or not he was going to run for president himself. For those following the story closely during those years, it certainly seemed probable that if not for the birther issue in general and Sheriff Joe in particular, a saga complete with suspicion generating birth certificates and oddly missing records, internet news site WorldNet Daily would have gone slap out of business as the birther nerve center featured stories on one related topic after another in a never-ending torrent of coverage. WND CEO Joseph Farah even went so far as to encourage people to donate to Arpaio's investigation of Obama. Um, and it says at the end, like, quote, he puts in air quotes, patriots everywhere were washed in the digital ink of conspiratorial enlightenment and nourished by the truth of subversives revealed. However, it is all simply scripted entertainment, polarizing the masses. And I'll be damned if that does not sound an awful lot like, I think as maybe we've referenced before, of like the QAnon phenomenon and even features as we've said, like Donald Trump was the sort of ringleader of this circus of birtherism and was kind of the, the thing that made him sort of anathema to liberals and embraced by the Republican Party and the kind of Tea Party, really the more conspiratorial kind of Glenn Becky fringe of the Republican Party. And yeah. now is like flowering where, quote unquote, patriots washing the digital ink of conspiratorial enlightenment are like going to kill themselves if Joe Biden wins because like we read in that article the yeah. other day you know oh, people right. are yeah. so believing in Q that they're willing to like the do I'm going to and leave the car on uh, if Joe Biden wins yeah well, we'll yeah we'll discuss well, the, that the, that's, yeah, that's coming up soon we're going to do a whole Q thing but I just thought it was funny that SK Bain points out this kind of Arpaio Donald Trump connection and sort of sees it as a sideshow that specifically is drawing attention to Arizona in preparation for getting nuked on Black Christmas yeah, that's the thing about S.K. Payne, because, you know, of course, like, he also talks about how Obama is, like, Amon-Ra, like, reborn, and, like, how his name is obviously supposed to be, like, a ritualistic, like, reversal in the same way that, like, 9-11 is a reversal of, like, the help number, you know? Like, it uh, psychologically destroys people because it switches 9-11 to terror, like, switching Obama, Hussein, the good guy from Osama, mm. and Hussein, the like, you know? It's, True. So, but, yeah, he just, like, he's so, but, you know, like, like that said, like, like, he just throws everything against the wall. And, like, there's definitely some, like, you know, yeah, there's definitely some stuff of value in Escobar. And I will give him credit. You know, he's always been, you know, uh, like, dismissive of the paranoia about Muslims. You know, he's always mm -hmm. said, like, Muslims aren't responsible and, like, the horrible crusades that will ensue after Black Christmas, like, will truly be, like, a tra you know, they'll make Afghanistan and Iraq look like nothing and they'll truly be a travesty, you know? Um, yeah, he, he does seem but, to have, uh, yeah. like, these kind of bumper rails that I think are, it, it's always great when you see somebody who's, like, willing to be a really far-out conspiracy researcher, like, not fall for that, hmm, like, what about the Jews? <laughs> you know, yeah. or, like, hmm, Muslims, like, are they really just a satanic religion that, you know, blah, 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 like, like, eventually... Like they're, uh, you know, like they say, they're so open-minded that your brain falls out. The people used to say yeah. about San Franciscans, um, and, uh, and and then embrace, and then like they kind of get lost in like the the funhouse of mirrors and can't discern anymore. But like Bane, to his credit, is very kind of laser focused on these kind of, ang and he says at a point, like Anglo-American conspiracy of Luciferians and Freemasons. 
and Thelemites yeah. and people yeah. of that nature. And that, like, goes on. Which I think is closer every... to the truth of what we're getting at. Yeah. It, well, yeah. And it get, like that will go off, like, in every conceivable direction with every possible association. But, yeah, like, there definitely is, like, a, uh, you know, yeah, the... There's definitely like he keeps on the even keel with that type, of, and he doesn't necessarily pick on any particular group other than that, you know, other than the Luciferians themselves. Who, the elites, you know, basically, yeah. which is yeah. not a bad kind of rule to stick to. I think if you're looking at, yeah, like you know, you don't want to single out entire populations of people uh, that you know uh, supposedly have some kind of you know certain people within that gigantic group have some nefarious associations you know it's like um, and usually I think the when you do find the connections it's like okay yes like 15 of them of the hijackers were Saudi but like let's step back a second and think about like what is the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States particularly like both at the economic military intelligence kind of level um, and you see like then you can see how kind of different that milieu that was interacting with the US government was from kind of just like Muslims broadly defined like this is a very discreet specific um and kind of in a way kind of both elite and fringy group uh that you know it has has almost more to do with uh like you could pin some of it on wahhabi doctrine but even wahhabism in saudi arabia is so heavily tied in with the economic and political and military relationships that you know um the saudi royal family has with the united states that it's kind of you know, to put too much of an emphasis on, like, you know, you know, like, ISIS is extremely Islamic, you know, that kind of stuff <laughs> is, uh, you're barking up, like, a, a wrong tree, basically. If yeah, you start true. To do He's that. definitely um, more correct than Graham would in that respect. And the, yeah, and I, like, he also, like, doesn't have any, like, obvious political bias. Like, I think his experience, like, with the neocons like, for whatever reason has, like, set him, you know, where he definitely doesn't spare, like, anyone on the left, you know, but he also, mm -hmm. like, isn't like Alex Jones, where he's like, folks, Trump's a patriot, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like, like you know. Trump's for real. Yeah, Trump's, exactly. He's like, for real. Yeah. Like, globalist, man. like, you know, yeah, like, hate yeah. his guts. Yeah, exactly. Like, folks, are, they're gonna, they're gonna kill him. He's, he he's a dead man, folks. You know, like, he's yeah. got bullseye. <laughs> Oh, yeah, back. like yeah, crying like it's over, folks. Trump's dead. Trump's dead. Like, you know, like. He took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger. That's what the experts say. If it was up to me, I'd show it every day. Some say this country is just out of looking for a fight. Well, after 9-11, man, I'd have to say that's right. Have you forgotten how it felt that day? See your homeland under fire and her people blown away. Have you forgotten when those towers fell?
but yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of but, that. um, yeah, like, he thinks Trump is, like, a fucking Satanist, um, but, yeah, anyway, um, uh, yeah, and that's interesting, like, if you read his follow-up book to this, like, uh, which you get a little bit of hint of, I guess, in the revised edition of Most Dangerous, uh, book in the world, which is on, uh, Scribd, you can see, like, the, you know, he does, like, a post-prediction, like, wrap-up about how he, uh, over, like, you know, he, he underestimated their obsession with Sirius, because December 25th <laughs> isn't linked enough with Sirius, so that's why, but, yeah, in Most Dangerous, he kind of goes more into his, uh, own self. It's, it's a very weird book, because it's, like, an autobiography written in the third person, and it's about how he feels that, you know, his son had these, like, uh, sort of grand mal seizures that he felt like were caused or induced by what, you know, people who were threatened by uh, his book. Um, and he got like a mysterious note in his mail, which had like a picture of a poppy field on it or something like, you know, and he was like, oh, poppy, like the wizard of Oz, like, uh, no, also poppy, poppy, uh, poppy yeah, exactly. Bush. yeah, that's the connection that he ultimately like made. Um, and you know, but, to be fair, yeah. there is a, 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 a interesting track record of journalists and writers and whistleblowers and things like that who go after the Bush family a little bit too hard. Um, just end up having not great things happening to them, uh, often yeah. ending up with like mysterious suicides and uh, or like sudden onset cancers and things like that. So, you know, hard to really say. You can also start getting seizures in young adulthood. It doesn't necessarily, you know, it can happen at any time. Um, yeah. So it's not impossible, but but he saw it yeah, as a sign basically it's definitely that, not impossible but yeah he that, that's definitely how he interpreted it and yeah he uh he canceled his book uh like carnival usa like fun house of terror or whatever that he was working on because he mm -hmm. was afraid uh or like you know he was effectively shut up by that but he is still going strong you know he has a new book out and yeah and most dangerous he kind of indicts a lot of the people like you know we talked about bill crystal like john pod horitz mm -hmm. like uh Hire carlson uh just looking at his most dangerous blog in the world wordpress.com that he has uh right now like uh he's you know uh got these sort of memes that i guess he made of tucker carlson saying like this was what tucker carlson said when i asked him to endorse my new book and it's just like him laughing or whatever you know like uh uh, S.K. Bain's former colleague, uh, Tucker Carlson, like, you know, uh, and stuff like that. So um, I guess he kind of has a vendetta against him. He mentioned in Most Dangerous that he sent him a copy of the most dangerous book in the world um, to, like, you know, review or something and spent, like, $20 in the stamp or something like that. Um, or, uh -huh. like, some, yeah, and uh, Tucker Carlson never wrote him back, so... Apparently was, I see this here. Know. It says on his blog, Fox News' Tucker Carlson endorses S.K. Bain's latest book, Blackjack. Um, and then, yeah, there's the meme of him laughing. Yes. Um, and that is, yeah, Blackjack, the dawning of the new great age of Satan. Um, yes. He's, yeah, he has a little PDF here, uh, I guess, which is kind of about COVID called Breathless. Um, uh -huh. It has an amazing first sentence, which is, as 9-11 was unfolding, were you aware that it was a false flag operation employing sophisticated psychological warfare techniques doubling as an in-plain-sight global ritual? Neither was I. But that was almost <laughs> 20 years ago, and I've learned a lot since then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I guess he goes on. I, he seems to be very fixated with the Hunger Games as, like, uh, you know, sort of a, a mockery of the actual human sacrifices that are being performed. Um, interesting kind of reality yeah, it, tv format 
Yeah. And yeah, a return to feudalism and kind of monarchy. Uh, that, that is, it is a spooky book series that kind of, you know, I mean, it's essentially yeah. against all of those things, um, but... Yes. Um, opportune timing for it to kind of come out after 2008, you know, and the war in Iraq. I think the author said she was kind of inspired by watching nightly reports of, like, the war in Iraq in, like, the 2000s um, and kind of seeing where, like, American society was going in this, like, militarized, like, fucked-up direction. Yeah. He has, uh, S.K. Vane has an analysis in his breathless PDF of uh, Trump's, like, Bible photo op thing that he did, uh, saying that he's doing, like, a high priest gesture here um oh yeah i i see uh here he he's going in on trump and he's talking about meme warfare yes yeah so he's talking about trump uh donald trump orange man orange man bad funny (laughs) sort of but you'll get the inside joke shortly and then he has a logo of the orange order um the orange order is an international masonic style fraternity founded in 1795 as a tribute to protestant king william of orange who defeated the army of catholic king james the second in late 1600s members are known as orange men i mean we know that like most protestant fraternal societies take the name orange man and he is a scottish protestant Trump, yes. On his mom's wow. side. Orange man. Yeah. Um, widely known for its annual marches, the largest of which each year is around uh, July 12th, the 12th, and marks the anniversary of, you know, King William's victory. Uh, the order is headed by the Grand Orange Lodge of Ireland, but as lodges in England, the U.S., and elsewhere, including Scotland. Incidentally, it was recently reported to the media that due to COVID-19, the Grand Orange Lodge of Scotland planned to hold a virtual 12th this year. And uh, it says, King of the Memes, the evening of Sunday, July 12th, 2020, brought, uh, brought the sad news of the 27-year-old the death of uh, Benjamin Coe, the grandson of Elvis Presley, um, who committed suicide on July 12th. And I can only assume that he's going to say that that was connected. That was a sacrifice of some kind. I am actually, just as a, like a little side note, I am curious to know whether or not Donald Trump is a Mason. Because I've heard it alleged, like many presidents have been Freemasons, some openly, some not so openly. Um, but uh, it would... When you're trying to answer the question mark of, like, which powerful people in America are behind Trump, because a lot of them seem exoterically to be against him, um, I wonder if there's, like, if there's any Freemasonic connections in there that, you know, um, yeah, I or mean, if there's, you know, a Freemasonic kind of civil war going on. He is very proud of his Scottish heritage, you know, so, yeah, maybe. Uh, it might be worth looking into, but yeah. He has a golf uh, course there, yeah. Mm, yeah, you know, Scottish right and everything. It seems mm-hmm. like... Oh, uh, Scottish right. I mean, also, yeah, Albert Pike is is quoted, like, multiple times in S.K. Bain's book, um, and maybe, maybe we should do a deep dive on him one day, because, you know, he was a Confederate Army general, rumored to be the co-founder of the KKK, um, and it, like, even, I think, still has, like, a statue of him in Washington, D.C. Like, we're tearing down all these statues of Confederate war heroes. Oh, but the guy who was, like, the uh, resurrector of the Scottish Rite and the 33rd degree Master Mason, uh, no, 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 like, that guy's cool, we're respect him great state builder whatever um who was like incredibly racist and like worship lucifer um, <laughs> pretty in morals yeah. and dogmas most famous book pretty like uh, sk bain quotes a lot of quotes of uh pikes that are like floweringly very crowley in in their um yeah. in their worship of the illuminated one 
<laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, very provocative uh, stuff on uh, the most dangerous blog in the world, which uh, I won't endorse, but there is this uh, uh, heartwarming uh, post-partisan uh, statement here that maybe uh, can get us back to the way we felt on uh, 9-12, you know, when we were all one country. He says, uh, oh. uh, time is almost up. If you're still waiting for life to return to normal or for your candidate of choice to win the presidency and save the country from certain doom, all I can say is that you're in for a very rough couple of years. A liberal or conservative hell on earth would by definition be heaven on earth for the party in charge rest assured however that the game plan is for hell on earth exclusively one that transcends all boundaries political and otherwise and in which we will all suffer together wow seems like he set the date I mean, for the great age of satan to 2022 uh, is the new date that he's that he's going with right now. is he making a prediction again uh, he, he seems to yeah be uh uh, on 2022 now is the dawning of the new great age of Satan. So I don't know if that means an attack or what, but he definitely is throwing that date out there. Yeah. And uh, he didn't predict anything. He didn't predict COVID, right? No, as he far didn't as we know, predict it. Uh, no, as far as we know, uh, I don't know if he'll say that he did. Uh, if you like read more deeply into his work, but uh, as far as I know, he didn't predict that there would be a, a pandemic. Um, hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think, like a lot with S.K. Bain, that feels like maybe his specifics or something that I'm going to take with a with a big fistful of salt. Uh, but his general intuition, his feeling <laughs> that no matter who you vote for, the dawning age of Satan is what's coming down the pike. And, you know, the idea that voting for one of these candidates is going to give you heaven. And the other one's yeah. going to give you like that ha half the country is going to be in heaven as a result of a candidate winning and half will be in hell is almost too optimistic and that it's going to be hell for just <laughs> yeah. about everybody except like the very richest and most powerful um, people that rule our country. Um, so I'll I guess I'll give a qualified uh, endorsement of that sentiment, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think that about wraps it up. Um, I yeah. I hope this was an unorthodox and somewhat illuminating um, exploration of various you know phenomena and themes around nine eleven. Uh, can't say you know we've gotten to the bottom of it, but who has really? Um, yeah, and we we'll might... definitely be revisiting uh, this this event, I'm sure, from various angles. But uh, yeah, this is definitely uh, an important text uh, for us. It is. And to think of these kind of spectacular crisis events as a kind of um, a, a, as a sort of opera or or thinking of the performative aspect of it, I think is an yeah. important thing to do it's because a super now important idea and you need like an SK Bain to really like go balls to the wall with it to, like, you know, make it like to put it out there. Uh, a lot of people have floated it, but, you know, it's uh, yeah, it takes it takes him to to really take a stand for it, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. He <clears throat> threw threw some hand grenades into the discourse and got people to consider things on a deeper level, even if his uh, specific predictions are not uh, bearing themselves out or, uh, you know, go off in weird directions that, you know, don't yeah. really matter. Uh, I think his his sort of heuristic and his framework for looking at some of these things is something that in the mass media age and the age of, like, distributed network imperialism that we have to at least consider and entertain. 
Yeah, and it's, well, you know, I feel like a lot of people, yeah, like, definitely he belongs to the world that, like, we routinely engage with on the podcast of, like, the conspiratorial fringe, uh, and the, you know, and, like, of course, they get a lot of people in that domain, which I guess, like, we're kind of adjacent to as well, like, get a lot of, uh, criticism, but a lot of the time people who are like more credible are also flailing and also like saying stuff that doesn't make any sense or is absurd. Um, mm-hmm. and like, yes, it's more outrageous. Like it's more wild to be like weaving these massive conspiracy theories, but, uh, you know, these like is massive, like occult script and then to extrapolate it into like a fully realized, like uh, nuclear Luciferian attack that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a lot. But at the same time, like, you know, uh, there. Yeah, there's a lot of false predictions. I mean, th- we witnessed them in 2016. We witnessed a lot of there's false predictions like proliferating all the time, I think. Uh uh, I mean, yeah, like, like Hillary's going to win. I'm, all the time. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk in, like, our, our QAnon episode kind of about, like, even the flip side of, like, Blue Anon, if you will, of oh, the kind yeah. of, like, Robert Mueller is going to put yeah. on his leather jacket Mueller and march down the White yeah. House and, like, drag Trump out k- kicking and screaming and throw him in jail for being a KGB spy. And it's like, uh, <laughs> you know. And then, you yeah, know, like, exactly. I think the, the when prophecy fails, which is a thing that comes up again and again with uh, a lot of our episodes, um... I think that it's definitely the case with QAnon and also the case of kind of the polar opposite of QAnon, which is like that, you know, um, our brave here, our brave patriots in the CIA, same dynamic, um, are going to, you know, uh, launch a righteous coup to like get Donnie Moscow, Donnie Trump uh, out of the White House, you know, for, you know, uh, being, you know, yeah. a compromet agent. Yeah, or even going back to 9-11 itself, like, you know, Osama bin Laden's, like, high-tech, like, you know, uh, Spectre-style, like, mountain fortress where he's Oh, I saw the picture of that today, like, an illustration of it. It was ridiculous. Right, yeah, like, that type of stuff. Or, like, you know, there's going to be a 9-11, like, every, like, you know, every month, like, they're going to be lighting off all these dirty, like, you know, and stuff like that. There's, like, so Mm -hmm. much stuff like that, and... Yeah, a lot, like, you know, and I think that, yeah, like, there, you know, people like Baudrillard, things like that, people have analyzed this or appreciated 9-11 for its dimension, but yeah, it's kind of like a, uh, it's it's performative or theatrical dimension, but it's kind of, you know, uh, a taboo to sort of uh, touch, but it's something that I think, yeah, it is important to talk about, like, and it's something that's swept under the rug and, and not culted, but something that's important to engage with um, yes yeah and and it's in a lot of ways an extension of the principles of mind war that as you know as war evolves in a more sort of technotronic way in the 21st century that these are going to become um you know propaganda spectacular violence um spectacles a very the crisis spectacle is going to, it plays a very important role in you know uh you know pursuing the objectives of uh the people that have uh the power to move events and shape history and you know make things happen um which is kind of all that magic is right it's the uh the process of making things happen 
through yes. will. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the idea of things being more than some of their parts, like you said earlier. You know, taking putting mm-hmm. parts together and then making something more than that. You know, uh, yeah, like and, and since and we gestures and then making this, you know, exactly. And since we don't have access to the academic sort of like uh, internal records of the Pentagon or the CIA or you know even Freemasons or anything else for that matter, we almost are stuck in a sort of philosophical position where we kind of have to speculate a little bit about their capabilities and their operations and stuff because um, even if you wanted to prove it in a, you know, quote, like kind of peer-reviewed academic kind of way or an ironclad journalistic kind of way, um, it's almost impossible and it might even be more dangerous to sort of, uh, you know, talk to a few sources who tell you a version of what's going on and then give yourself a false sense of certainty about what happened. Um, You see that with, I don't know, magazines like The Nation or like you see it with The Intercept sometimes where they are kind of like exposing the CIA but then kind of being very credulous and like... They're, they're always very willing to accept, like, the bumbling CIA narrative of, like, hmm, I actually exposed that, like, they didn't want me to say this because it would embarrass them, that they actually just suck at everything and, uh, like, nothing's ever their fault by, you know, <laughs> by implication. Nothing's really their fault because they're so yeah. incompetent. Um, so there's all kinds of traps people can fall into with this stuff. So I think uh, I'm happy that we uh, we dove into the deep end and tried oh, yeah. to it was, extract some... It had some, to happen. It had to happen. It had to I happen. Think that this is, like, you know, one of the, like, to me, like, truly, like, you know, creme de la creme, like, conspiracy tomes. Like, the, the title is just, like, so bold like you know especially the subtitle like the concept you know and i just think that mm-hmm. yeah like you know for like whatever you like that that deserves a tip of the hat i think you know like uh you can hedge it as much as you want but i think that the concept is very uh fascinating yeah absolutely yeah. okay yeah. well um in until next time dear listeners stay vigilant peace tuesday september 11th 2001. Evil men, by hatred driven, wreaked havoc on the living. Ignorance, fed by the devil's preaching, turned the hearts of a few into a ruthless band, bent on leaving millions weeping, weeping, weeping. He worked hard for the bank of Boston this young clerk named Jimmy Johnson the thrifty ways his mother taught helped him save for the tickets he bought he was last in line for vacation time but he was happy as can be when they said you can have the second week in
He built a playhouse on the ninth and tenth and made reservations for the eleventh. Daddy, we go fly. Daddy, we go see Mickey Mouse. Daddy, we go fly. Daddy, we go to Disneyland. Yes, my pretty That's my master plan. 